Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello everyone, this is Jayan Sriram and I'll be hosting this episode for you today. Welcome to another interesting episode of the CII Podcast. And today's topic for discussion is the e-commerce boom in India. To discuss this very interesting topic, today we have with us a special guest, Rahul Garg, founder and CEO of Moglix, India's leading online store for industrial tools and equipment. The company is in fact a unicorn. He is also the chairman of the CII Delhi startup panel and leads all key initiatives from CII Delhi to transform the startup landscape in the capital. So how are emerging technologies and trends shaping the future of e-commerce in India? How are small and medium enterprises benefiting from e-commerce platforms? And how can online businesses incorporate eco-friendly practices in their operations and supply chains? Let's find out in discussion today with Rahul. Rahul, first of all, thank you so much for making time today for the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, great to be on the podcast. And uh, I think CI is doing a phenomenal job of continuing to educate the ecosystem so, uh, and cheering for the startups uh, in the country. That's good to hear. Great. So um, let's get into it. And um, just to start with a, with a broad overview, can you provide a sort of an overall picture of the evolution of e-commerce and its impact on the business landscape? So if you look at uh, e-commerce in India, it is pretty much uh, less than 10-year phenomena. I think uh, we are talking about the start of a B2C e-commerce, which, I mean, while Flipkart started in 2007-8, I think it really gained momentum after 2013-2014. In fact, 2014, after the first round of large funding by Tiger Global, that's truly the start of a mega e-commerce wave in India and then followed by Geo opening up the mobile. So I think if you think about, I think uh, it's only less than 10 years where e-commerce was not known. People didn't know how customers will pay many of these e-commerce platforms. People didn't know whether there will be issues of spurious products. People didn't know how to trust a platform for uh, a variety of things. And just in 10 years, I mean, like we are today taking pretty much for granted that if we are having a food delivered that is happening like on a daily, monthly basis for many households and particularly urban households, whether it is the mobile phones, laptops, clothes, shoes. I mean, I always wondered how will people get shoes e-commerce, but there's like a huge shoes of e-commerce that is happening. And then everything from pretty much probably buying a small product as a decorative item in your house to uh, a large product is transacting on e-commerce platform. So I feel the e-commerce has already become a mainstay. I think if you look at some of the statistics, I think by 2025, 2026, the expectation is e-commerce will become almost $200 billion. So it's a huge, huge market that has been brought online. Uh, but it is still a smaller percentage of the overall commerce market. I mean, even at $200 billion, I think we are talking of 15 to 20% of the consumer commerce starting to come online. And if we think about the B2B ecosystem, which where uh, we as a company, Moglex, operates, I mean, that is still less than 1% of the market is online, right? So there is a, in the next 10 years, we will see uh, e-commerce continue to change the way we buy products, the way we get access to the largest assortment anywhere uh, in the country. We are no longer limited by that. If I'm in Delhi, then I can get access to certain brands, ex certain assortment. I can actually be in any remotest part of Northeast or remotest part of Kerala or any other uh, sort of Jammu and Kashmir. 
and I can get access to the same brand, same product and uh, at the right price delivered at my doorstep, right? On a consumer side and on B2B side, if I'm running a manufacturing plant, I don't have to again worry about the delays in supply chain and things like that. I think it's a huge phenomena which has taken and obviously got accelerated by one, a large amount of capital and infrastructure built up in the country. The second, by uh, the entire data revolution that India went through with the Reliance and the Geo. And the third, I think COVID also acted as a fair bit of accelerator because people suddenly started to realize that if they did that e-commerce platform, they could not get basic grocery or a medicine or things like that delivered at their home. So people, many people first time used also during COVID many of the e-commerce and 50-year-old, 60-year-old, so on and so forth. So I think uh, that's where I would think uh, we are going as an industry. Yeah, and you know, I think with all things to do with digital, COVID acted as a, as this great accelerator. And it's, it was really interesting to hear you speak in that answer and, and to reflect on the fact that it's only been about 10 years since e-commerce really came into the mainstream. We think of it today as being such a big part of uh, our lives. So uh, just to sort of build on from there, E-commerce is at the is at the forefront of digital transformation in many ways. So, how are businesses leveraging technology to enhance uh, the customer experience and streamlining operations and streamline operations? I know that this is you know like a like an ongoing process that's sort of key to the whole experience. Well, if you look at it, I mean, um, and I think there are multiple sort of things happening in the ecosystem which are leading to digital transformation. Though the first one I would say is the UPI because pretty much the payment infrastructure uh, went online and suddenly you see every single offline uh, store also using Paytm or using PhonePay or one of the platforms to accept uh, payment whether it is online and offline, right? So you have a massive kind of an online and an offline uh, ecosystem of commerce getting facilitated using this one digital hack of payments becoming uh, more P2P or uh, more UPI or wallet driven, right? So I think there is clearly a massive wave that is driving the digital transformation and enablement pretty much at the micro uh, MSME or uh, ice cream guys in front of your flat, I mean, with a small trolley. Uh, carrying ice cream, he's accepting Paytm or phone pay, right? So, I mean, like, that's how deep we have gone into the digital transformation and enablement of businesses using just uh, our UPI. And then you start to think about GST, where every single GST voice is filed on a government system. So, again, the entire indirect taxation and structure being simplified and again digitized, I think, has been a huge drive in terms of. Um, bringing people uh, closer to uh, using the technology and uh, realizing the simplicity of the transactions. I mean, you don't, uh, many of us don't carry uh, change anymore in our wallet, right? I mean, and uh, I've seen people have done experiments that they had zero money in their wallet uh, or they forgot the wallet and uh, they just traveled across and uh, with their mobile phone and uh, the ATMs or one of those, right? And you you were just okay, right? And imagine it was not probably possible even six, seven years back, right? To, to be able to do that. So I think that's where I would think the digital is really at forefront and it's no longer limited that you are transacting on Moglets or Flipkart. That's where your digital interface is impacting businesses or consumers, but it is happening pretty much in your offline world as well. Uh, the interesting part of uh, the technology is also that if you think about many of the sellers on the platforms are SMEs and then because they want to get access to this uh, different platforms which may be relevant for selling their products or services, 
I mean, those guys have invariably gone about and digitized, standardized their offerings, whether it is like, what are the SKUs I want to sell? What are the services I may want to sell? Uh, how do I want to interact with a customer? Uh, just the whole customer friendliness. I mean, like today, even uh, again, I would say less than 10 years back, if you had to have a return process of your offline guy, I think it was like super fun. And because online made it so simple, no questions asked, all of that, I think now your offline return experiences are improving. Your neighborhood Kirana is happy to sort of pick up a phone and say, I'll take your order and get it delivered at your house. I mean, he has figured out an organized supply chain or an organized supply chain to get a product. I mean, like maybe pre-COVID, that was not that straightforward, right? So I think while there is a direct transformation, there is an indirect transformation of the ecosystem, which has been massive, changing the customer experience that I feel many of the things that we take for granted. If we were to just pause for a bit and say, what was it 10 years back? You can't imagine the world you were living in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we really can't. And as you as you mentioned, there are many sort of indirectly related things like UPI that have really changed the ecosystem, the way we think about um, shopping, but mostly I think the way we think about um, you know money and how it's transacted. Thank you so much for that answer. It was really interesting. And uh, since you mentioned um, SMEs, uh, I think that's a, that's a good uh, sort of opportunity to also ask. You mentioned that the the, the kind of digitization that uh, SMEs are sort of undertaking. Um, what opportunities uh, do you think that they have to sort of uh, what opportunities has e-commerce really given them to maybe compete on a global scale? I would say, I mean, global is a slightly sort of a bigger sort of question because I think the first question to me starts from if you think about SMEs who want to sell um, uh, using platforms and sell nationally. I mean, like I might be a, uh, and we have like SME manufacturers who might be not having that great a distribution channel or regional or local into their own city. Now, suddenly they are getting access to national markets and in some cases, maybe global markets. So, but let me first start with the national market. I mean, like a small SME was probably selling in his neighborhood and now he's suddenly having access to selling in any, any state, any city by using these platforms and uh, bringing his product or service uh, onto the reality and shipping, right? So I think that is first thing which has been a huge disruptor. I think there are companies now which are pure play online sellers, which were obviously never existed before. There are brands which have been purely created online. Now, if you think about the D2C brands, for example, and many of them, I think last I heard there are like thousand plus D2C brands. Now, I mean, many 950 of them are like all pure play online brands. I mean, and these are getting created with sometimes micro segmentation. Like I want a... Uh, uh, my uh, instead of this uh, two color for dyeing my hair, I may have 10 variants of dyeing my hair, right? And somebody would have come up with that innovation and he wants to market it nationally, right? I mean, like simple things. I mean, people are able to micro segment and figure out uh, niches where they can build brands and they suddenly do not need to uh, sort of travel too much and build the entire distribution network in an old way. They can just by click of a button, enroll onto one of the commerce platforms, start to sell those products, get feedback and really build their business. I mean, we see uh, latest talk of the town, Mama Earth is like probably 80% uh, online and the only way Mama Earth could be built was using these e-commerce platforms and uh, that's how you evolve. So I think that has been the beauty because you're no longer limited to the likes of Unilever, PNG, Nestle or whatever, the huge conglomerates who have been built over several 50, 100 years. 
uh, and they are the only ones who can innovate and bring product to the market because of control on distribution ecosystem. Now you suddenly have access to ecosystem and distribution network where you could build phenomenal innovation and create a target uh, audience which will go after your product or service. And I think that's that to me is like amazing democratization of their distribution platform which was not possible before. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. I think some key phrases to keep in mind there, which is uh, micro-segmentation, product innovation, and really the, the last one, which is democratization, um, which really leads to the range, really, of like shopping options that uh, consumers have today. Um, but, you know, since we, uh, since we spoke about smaller sellers coming onto the market, some niche brands, uh, some digital pure play uh, enterprises, um, one of the one of the concerns actually with uh, with online transactions is is cyber security. So, um, what measures should businesses take to protect customer data and ensure secure transactions? I'm sure this is a big concern for many. See, I think uh, it has been pretty much a chicken and egg problem because as you evolve technology, I think there are automatically people who want to um, make money by sort of. Uh, finding the loopholes and that's how the technology also continues to mature and uh, both of them are playing the cat and the mouse game right so uh, I would think cyber security is definitely a concern I think uh, because there may be a lot of consumers who may not be fully aware of these new scams that can emerge in terms of uh, bank ODBs and somebody doing a fake call and asking for credit card or a debit card number and then misusing it. I mean, those are kind of uh, real new uh, threats that emerge out of uh, money becoming digital and uh, uh, people transacting more and more online, right? So I think those threats are immutable. I think uh, there is a fair bit of catch up that the community continues to do and the technology platforms continue to do so that the consumers are uh, not getting impacted and consumer education programs in terms of uh, that you should not share your ODP. You should make sure that if somebody calls and um, asks for your personal details, I mean, the bank is not supposed to do that. So I think there is a continuous education because the reality is this change is happening. And we just can't sort of say that we will not be part of the change because the positive impact is phenomenally high. Right. The, uh, the question is, you got to make sure that you are steering your way with the uh, with continuously remaining ahead of people who might be um, trying to find holes and trying to monetize it. Right. And um, I don't think there is a perfect answer in this year, particularly given all the stuff that is happening in AI. I mean, it's a it's a completely new Pandora's box because you will suddenly have a fake video resembling maybe like Rahul or a giant that. And then uh, nobody knows whether it's a real us talking about it or a fake uh, uh, person talking about it. So, I mean, there are real sort of uh, threats which are going to emerge. But as uh, technology innovators, I'm sure there are enough positive guys who continue to plug those holes. And uh, But it will definitely require a lot of consumer education as well because um, unless you continue to make them aware... Uh, it's no longer just an antivirus which you can put and plug the holes. I think the holes are much broader now in terms of the security uh, uh, which can impact people. 
Yeah, and as you point out, I think adaptability is key. You um, mentioned rightly, of course, that AI is going to bring its own set of challenges. Um, so thank you once again for that overview. Um, the other concern, of course, is uh, sustainability. Um, you know, given the ease with which uh, e the the ease uh, the, the the way that w in which e-commerce has made shopping easy, um, people just do you know shop a lot these days. Um, and so, how can e-commerce businesses adopt eco-friendly practices in their operations and supply chains? So, I think there are. I will answer that question in two parts. I mean, firstly, I think sustainability is a responsibility of everyone, online, offline. It is no longer like just an online problem. So, India is going through two transitions, which is unorganized to organized, and offline to online. And there will be right mix, and everyone will be present. I mean, like. Yes, I do like to go to malls and shop as well. And then I also like to go online and shop as well, right? So it's not a uh, like either or. There is going to be the right balance of uh, existence of uh, multiple of these choices, right? So I think we need to think about sustainability uh, across the spectrum. I mean, uh, even when a Kirana guy kind of sent, uh, sells a product in a uh, one time use plastic. I mean, that is a concern. Uh, similarly, when it happens on an e commerce platform, I think uh, the way I look at it, I think e commerce and organized players are way ahead of the unorganized ecosystem because they are continuously investing and thinking ahead in terms of providing these kind of value, particularly if it matters to a consumer. Like, you will see like a lot of the food getting delivered in the ground paper bags and things like that, right? When it comes from the organized player, but when it comes from an unorganized player, it might be one time use plastic, right? So I would say that e-commerce companies are remaining way ahead of um, the curve in terms of thinking about sustainability. Uh, they do, uh, I would say, uh, would continue to push the paddle though on uh, how fast are we making some of those sustainable solutions uh, right priced as well. I mean, because this uh, many a times consumer is not willing to pay for uh, option which is sustainable but costs more, right? So, so you need to watch out for your PNL also because if uh, this cost uh, is not only the business cost but it is a cost which eventually in some shape or form direct indirect goes back to the consumer. So, how fast can the consumer, particularly in the Indian context, which is like very price cost uh, um, concern as well as uh, there are enough people who are uh, going to care about like two rupees being saved or a one rupee being saved, right? So, <laughs> versus a sustainable solution being delivered to them. So, I think lot is being done, lot is being talked about, but it is going to be a journey. Yeah, and as you rightly point out, uh, sustainability is an online and offline responsibility that covers everybody. Um, and I just want to switch uh, track a little bit to ask you what emerging technologies and trends do you foresee really shaping the future of e-commerce in India going forward? So I feel that one India has become like probably the best in world kind of a e-commerce ecosystem now so it's not like 10 years back where we were lagging behind and there were like uh, countries which were ahead in e-commerce adoption or usage in many shape or form for payments and other infrastructure we're probably ahead of most of the world. The technology trend I feel obviously AI is going to be a big thing. I mean how uh, the data starts to get used for personalization for predictability 
many of those things will uh, start to come into play we also think about um, i think will augmented or a immersive experience for many product categories will become a uh, super important i mean like uh, what happens if i actually get a virtual feel of uh, wearing a t-shirt or trying out clothes i mean like is there a trial room alternative that i actually experience and in which case i completely transform virtually the way i buy products and bring online and offline park closer so i think those are innovations that i think are happening at a mega scale i think there is going to be uh, still in the journey of india a lot of india which has to come online and a lot of supply chain infrastructure which will continue to get built i mean india infrastructure is a very talked about phenomena that in next 5 to 10 years india will become just faster on roads faster on every means of transportation a new way of building warehouses of different scale and size the consumer spending power increasing to a very different level so i think there is lot of the core blocks which will be built and then on top of it the immersive experiences and artificial intelligence will uh, really keep us uh, right at the forefront of um, uh, the technology usage in india yeah so it's, it's interesting that we uh, sort of uh, came to artificial intelligence again because i think when we're talking about ai and e-commerce in particular the the key really is uh, creating this creating greater degrees of uh, of personalization um so which sort of leads to this um, related concern which is that how can e-commerce businesses strike a balance between providing you know more personalized shopping experiences and um respecting customer data privacy because that will also be that will sort of sort of become a concern down the line as well i think it's a very uh, sort of um, early days of that evolution of how do you treat data i think spent several years at google as well i think this a uh, data topic has always been sort of a tricky topic right where do you um, what data how do you collect data and then uh, what all usage can you have of the data and i think there was an interesting quote i also heard i think few years back i mean like if you are not paying for a service you are the product like like we are used to google maps probably being available to us for free but the only way google is able to probably build that product and build that innovation and bring it free is by using the data collected distributed from millions of billions of people right so i think there is a right balance of where you use data for monetization and which comes as a subsidy for the consumer back right because consumer is using many products and services which may not be possible unless the data can be put to use now how do you build these guidelines and i think is this again because i feel this year has opened a new and a massive pandora's box in terms of what is possible with data because i think we were still living in that first generation second generation usage of data now with the way the technology is moving this year i think the use of data can be actually massive in terms of uh, I mean people are now starting to compose and predict songs which will become popular. I mean I I've, I've seen like can you have what would be the new song based on the history of all songs that Beatles sang and can you compose it with music. I mean like those are kind of like crazy things which are becoming possible, right? So uh I feel next few years we got to figure it out. I think it is the first generation thinking which was like when the google and facebook and amazon and apple i don't think the those roles 
while those rules itself did not evolve much and now we are suddenly entered a zone where we have no clue of uh, how the data can be used uh, maybe 10 20 30 40 years i mean like there are if you feed in the picture of 0 to 5 year old they can possibly predict what what will you look like at 20 year old 30 year old 40 year old and then how will you probably speak at i mean like it's just crazy in terms of what is possible with data today and uh, uh, we have not figured out the first second generation of uh, data privacy and the right balance itself right so it's like a, literally a fast track of uh, figuring it out and i don't think any government in the world actually has a clue if at all i feel that india in particular has remained far more tech savvy digital savvy government than many other countries that i interacted with there the innovation is more done by the private sector i think our government's uh, digital is far uh, far ahead of many other countries and probably world can learn from us yeah thank you that's um, that's really interesting perspective and as you mentioned um there are some very tricky times ahead coming up uh, with relation to all of the points that we discussed and um just as we are rounding up this podcast discussion for today um you know as the chair of the CII Delhi committee on startups um can you share your vision for promoting and enabling the startup ecosystem in Delhi and what are the key initiatives CII plans to plans to take to really um to realize this vision So I think when I took up this role, I think it was interesting because we are uh, our India headquarters technically is Delhi, but a uh, lot of our operations are uh, uh, one of our warehouses is in Delhi, uh, but a lot of our teams are distributed across India. And I feel Delhi is a very very unique state because if you think about Delhi, is has the highest number of registered startups in the country, and most people would have thought about this for Bangalore and Gurgaon, but that's not true. Delhi is one of the highest number of registered startups in the country because of various reasons i mean uh, people like the governance people like uh, uh, the uh, central access to the legal and roc and many other systems and processes that delhi would have because of it being the capital of the country while many other states are far behind in terms of those kind of aspects uh, so there is a mix of a central and a state related aspect there because it's uh, the being the capital of the country and uh, a fantastic jurisdiction in that sense but uh, i think as a dr ci delhi startup committee uh, that uh, i have a privilege of leading i think uh, we are looking at bringing out some of these positive aspects which delhi has and actually it has one of the phenomenal ecosystem of schools and colleges so if you look at it in a 20 km radius i don't think anywhere in india there are so many students with the best of universities and colleges anywhere in india so you have the best of young talent coming out of delhi i mean from iid delhi to triple iid delhi to the srcc to and probably also the largest ecosystem of not just engineers but non engineer phenomenal graduates undergrad post grad and so on so forth right we, we always attribute some of the startups and innovation to only engineers and iits or nids that so on so forth but like you need to have innovation happening in legal system you need to have innovation happening in our accounting system we need to have, we need to have uh, innovation happening in maybe humanities i mean like uh, social sciences i mean so so many areas and uh, delhi has those young minds coming out of that so i think that's one area where i feel that 
we can build a great ecosystem of uh, igniting those minds uh, continuing to encourage incubation into areas where people may not have chartered and build that ecosystem um, i also feel that uh, uh, there is a interesting stat uh, so delhi ncr is typically i think 25 to 30% of the consumer companies market in india particularly if you have startups which target urban markets that is the size of gdp impact uh, that delhi ncr has and delhi is the epicenter so i also feel for many of the cons- urban consumer startups in particular if you win in delhi you probably have a right to win across india and i think that has played out whether you think about zomato whether you think about urban clap i mean many of these consumer startups or even 99 acres when it started and we make my trip i mean all of these have benefited from the fact that delhi ncr is one of the largest ecosystem of uh, the true gdp urban gdp in the country and i think that's another thing we want to bring out because i think delhi has been extremely under marketed in terms of being a place where startups can really innovate at early stage get a product market fit and win in this market and enable that right to win across india as well as the student education ecosystem and uh, the associated incubators and accelerators and last but not the least i mean like if you think of the government innovation government machinery many of the areas if you think about corporate headquarters many of them in delhi so i think we have so many good things in delhi and you combine the ecosystem of delhi and cr because ncr doesn't have a separate ecosystem it's all state based cii ecosystem i think we have a I mean, you take a hundred kilometer radius. I don't think there is a better hundred kilometer radius than Delhi NCR in terms of building startups, and we want to make sure that we bring that out with the full potential and capacity. All right, thank you. And I think on that very positive note, we'll end the discussion for today. Thank you so much, uh, Rahul, for joining us today on the CII podcast and making time for us. No, absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CII podcasts. 